<laughs> I've gone full partridge. You never go full partridge. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Escape Pod from Escape Technology, where we discuss the pressing technology issues of the day uh, being faced by VFX and content creation studios. Um, this week, we are discussing the use of cloud infrastructure and remote cloud resources for visual effects workflows. My special guest today is Colin Kennedy, CEO of Fix VFX. Good morning, Colin. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me. And we have Nick Matthews with us, our Business Development Director. Uh, morning to you, Nick. Good morning, Jason. Hello, good morning and welcome. Um, <laughs> all right, so we're going to talk about um, Escape's Sherpa platform and, and its deployment as a, as, a, as a cloud resource management tool for VFX workflows, which is relevant to Fix VFX. But I think before we get into that, we'd really like to hear a little bit more about Fix as a company. So, Colin, could you give us a, a bit of background about Fix and, and, and tell us who you are and, and the type of projects you work on? Yeah, sure. So Fix uh, will be five years old this year. Um, it came about from uh, when I was working on a, a, a movie that I was directing. And in the, in the uh, post process, I ended up running a, a small room of artists. And the post-production supervisor said, um, you know, you're, you're actually pretty good at this. And I was like, well, that's very nice of you. And he said, you should start a visual effects company in Glasgow. And uh, and I said, uh, you know, in no uncertain terms, that that was a ridiculous idea and it was never going to happen. <laughs> um, and uh, five years later, here we are. And uh, the way that the, there was an opportunity that came up, there was a, a fund at um, Screen Scotland, as it's known now, to train people up. And there's a very, there's you know, there's very limited access to visual effects in in Scotland. But we have a great pool of education. So we've got. Lots of clever young people coming out of uh, university and looking for interesting jobs. And there's a gap between education and what, you know, you know how well equipped um, students are when they graduate and what the, the industry needs. So I applied to the training fund and uh, they gave me some money and I built a, a bespoke course with Escape Studios. And then from that point on, we put we put those young minds and talents uh, to work uh, in you know kind of entry level jobs. So lots of roto prep, paint work, um, green screen, and essentially we've set up as a VFX outsource facility. Um, although we we tend to work better as a vendor, so on larger projects like um, Outlaw King or. Outlander, anything that starts with out, we'll work on that. Um, <laughs> only and, only uh, projects that start with the word out. Yeah, it's <laughs> got to start with out, otherwise we're out. Um, so, yeah, on, on bigger projects, we work very well as a vendor um, direct, and on, on smaller projects, we, we, uh, we work equally well as a VFX outsource. And we fit, obviously, because we're in the UK, we fit very well with UK tax credit. Um, all our spend is, is eligible. We are not directly competitive price-wise with, um, with, with other areas of the world, like the Far East or uh, India, but we don't have any of the time zone issues. There's, we don't have any tech issues either. So it's a, it's a very, it's, we're a very easy company to work with and we've got great talent. 
So are you, um, just give us a, a bit more insight in, term, in terms of the types of projects, Colin. I mean, are we talking predominantly film and long-form drama or do you do commercials? You know, is there a mixture? What, what, what's the story with that? It's all film and long-form drama. Um, okay. We don't tend to work too well for, for commercials because it's short-form work, or certainly the, the, in our experience, the type, you know, the type of commercials that have approached us is that they're really looking for a kind of um, one-man solution or a very small team solution to, that takes them from, uh, that does all of, the, all of the kind of fiddly roto work right the way through to the high-end the high end finishing work. Um, and our model doesn't really, really work terribly well for that. Um, we are, we're, we're a lot better at getting the, the kind of nuts and bolts work done to a really high degree of fastidiousness. And then if you've got lots of CG work to do, then, you know, go to, go to a CG specialist. We're, we're, we're better at the kind of nuts and bolts end of it. Yeah, so as as befits a sort of outsourcing model, you know, it's it's where where in commercials you've got fewer artists that are generalists and are working across the whole pipeline. That that's not going to fit your model quite yeah. so well. That makes sense. Um, and so tell me what um, what does fixed look like? I mean, you know, I'm getting a picture that perhaps we haven't got mm. thirty people sitting in a single studio space ge geographically. What's what's the sort of um, layout in that respect? So the way that the way that it was run pre. COVID-19 was that we have a small studio in Glasgow um, and uh, that ramps up and down and uh, we I think grew up to our biggest last year um, working on Outlander having about 20-25 people and some of, some of those were other outsource companies that we worked with well um, and but predominantly that's freelancers working with us so we would have eight in the studio and then other people working remotely. So in terms of making the jump to, to remote working, we were, we were starting to get a, a bit of a, a, a break on that last year, um, simply by the necessity to grow the studio quickly and not having um, talent immediately available in Glasgow or space for that matter. Right. Okay. And so, touching upon the the sort of more specific technology questions there, then what what applications and tool sets are your artists using typically? The absolute uh, base tool that everything is founded on is Nuke. From there, we also use tracking products, PF Track, 3D Equalizer, uh, Maya to deliver alembic files. Neat Video is another important plugin, uh, Mocha for planar tracking, and uh, Adobe Creative Suite on a kind of more minimal uh, level. Sure. So it's a it's a pretty um, expected sort of software palette of VFX tools. Yeah. So how have you unified the project technically when you've had a group of full time artists sitting in the Glasgow studio and then you've had artists scattered around? all over the place. What, yeah. um, what technology have you used previously to kind of unite those projects, you know, with a, with a kind of underlying infrastructure? Well, in the studio, it's very simple. Um, we, have a, we have a server um, on premises. Uh, it, uh, it is only connected to, well, it's never directly connected to the internet. Um, but, you know, we have, a, we have a system where we download our files through Aspera or Signiant or whatever um, clients like to, to use yeah. um, 
and then everybody accesses accesses from a from a central server. We did have node locked licenses for for Nuke on each of the workstations, so that was how things worked in the studio. Then, in for the cloud infrastructure, we used Athera, which was a great solution for um, for for what we needed to do. Um, it uh, it worked it worked really well, but it wasn't taken up widely enough across the industry for it to be sustainable. So they closed it down, um, and that actually pretty much coincided with the end of our. Uh, project and need for remote workers and since then as you know we've been looking at, at Sherpa. It's interesting that you mentioned um, Athera which is which is the foundries or was the foundry's own um, foundry product emphasized cloud containerized sort of workflow tool. Um, I think we'll come back to that in a second. I just want to hand over to Nick for a second and ask him a couple of questions. I mean, Nick, you had been, you know, what's what's your history with Fix, and how did you end up having conversations with Colin about the next the next stage for those guys with respect to their their remote deployment? As Colin mentioned, we were introduced by Andy Bressington at Escape Studios, who'd known Colin for a number of years, and they had already successfully deployed a cloud-based solution with Foundry's Athera, and were looking for an alternative solution to provide them with a, a continued cloud infrastructure service and after some R&D time and and an extended evaluation period uh, it was it was agreed that it was suitable for them to be able to, to stand up the infrastructure they need to do so really it was a question of you you coming up with something that was going to provide them with the same flexibility and agility that that Ethereum had provided previously uh, yes, I mean in fact Sherpa is, is a far more adaptable solution than Ethereum the whole ethos and design concept behind Sherpa was to build an entirely agnostic uh, open stack solution that could leverage the power of any any hardware stack, you know, either one that's considered to be a cloud hardware stack or even a private virtual cluster of hardware running in someone's machine room uh, or a data center. And we can, we can install any software. I mean, it's not even limited to what we would consider to be computer graphics software, but I have people using it for for a whole range of remote compute solutions yeah okay this interesting point with Ethereum, i'd like to pick pick up on actually i mean colin nick's nick's mentioned the fact that Ethereum had been largely developed to provision foundry software products in a cloud yeah. format did you encounter any limitations with that where you needed to use sort of Maya and, and, and applications that sat outside of the, the Foundry's toolset range? What was what was your what was your experience on that front? At that point, it wasn't really an issue for us. Um, but it certainly would have been an issue going forward. You know, I mean I have a I have a vision for uh, fix that it is a visual effects studio entirely based in the cloud. And and for mm -hmm. that obviously we will need access to a variety of software and as nick quite rightly points out you know not necessarily just graphic stuff but um you know project management tools uh google docs or word or you know all the all the all the, the business the logistics yeah, the business continuity the stuff well. yeah so that would not have been possible to my knowledge in in athera uh, either and we would have had to have had lots of different systems running side by side. Now, what is interesting to us about Sherpa is that because of its agnostic position, it means that we can literally go about building our, our studio in a virtual world um, with all the tools that we want. But 
you know, in terms of timing, um, which is absolutely critical, it's actually come, uh, this this whole uh, change in the world has come at a relatively good time for us. We, we're just finishing up on a big job. Um, uh, we've got a little gap between now and our next work. The next work has an animation element to it. So that can, that can uh, carry on in what would have been pre-production until ways and means of returning to physical production are, are dealt with. So we do have time to develop a, a, a solution that, that takes our company, you know, on a solid foundation into, into a, you know, almost dedicated cloud infrastructure. Yeah, and I guess, you know, businesses like yours are, are going to be viewed a little bit differently, as in more positively going forwards. I mean, the world has shifted on its axis a little with um, the COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, did you encounter previously questions or, or curiosity from your clients about the remote distributed nature of your setup before? Well, another, I mean, and, and I, I'm sorry to talk over you there. I mean, another another benefit to to this will be that the security side of things, you know, security audit for uh, our previous premises, you know, had a lot of kind of physical problems to it. With everything in the cloud, it's a relatively straightforward checkbox um, approach. You know, are you using uh, industry accepted standards for, for file transfer, for storage and for access? And the simple answer to that is, uh, is, a, is a yes on every, on every level, you know, because we can't, we can't set it up without using those um, industry standard protocols. So it's, it really makes that whole transition a lot easier. Yeah, I guess um, it, you know, to some extent, your your ability to fulfil security mandates are sort of aided really by the fact that you're using cloud components, which all bring with them their own ability to fulfil security restrictions. You know, as yeah, as, as completely. You, yeah, Google, Microsoft, uh, Amazon all have their own ability to to meet those requirements. And providing your network is sort of has a degree of integrity when you plug into them, you know, you're covered in that regard, aren't you? Yeah, and and um, and you know, you you have to go through all sorts of uh, security, uh, jump through security hoops, you know, just to just to get on the system. And I guess the the one hole that there is going to be and is always going to be there, is that there will be. Uh, viewable pixels on on artist screens but otherwise it should be a, a pretty watertight system yeah we talked about that with um with barry zubel at, at, from lipsync actually in a previous podcast uh, episode where you know obviously in this sort of new normal you've you know you've got this scenario where there's a screen with pixels displayed in a artist domestic environment but of course everybody's having mm -hmm. to wrestle with that at the moment so again it becomes a you know a, an accepted sort of facet of those sorts of workflows really um, sure. What are you doing to um, manage the the production aspect of, of of your project? So obviously you've got artists working remotely with with their visual effects applications. I mean, for shot management or control of the project, you know, wh where do you where do you centralise all of that? What tools do you use for that? We started out with Shotgun, and um, it worked very well. But we didn't. We weren't really, you know, using its full capability. Then we. Uh, moved to F-Track because uh, one of our close companies that we work with was was using F-Track, um, and I personally found it quite difficult to learn another shot management system, um, and I couldn't really extract the kind of data that I wanted from it very easily. 
And uh, then I created my own Google Sheet um, with just what I wanted on it, and that's what we use. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. we, we started out with, you know, the, 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 biggest, the biggest guns that the, that the industry has to offer. And, uh, and then in the end, actually, it turns out with a very simple bit of coding and, uh, and learning how to work Google Sheets, you can link everything together. It calculates all our bids. It calculates all our worker time, you know, uh, people's, people's time at work. Um, it, you know, and then we can really mine that data very, very easily. So it's a completely bespoke system. Um, now, in the future, I think we would like to go back to Shotgun. But at the moment, Google Sheets is ace. That's, that's interesting because it sort of ties in with what you said earlier about non-VFX applications being brought into the Sherpa infrastructure as just the same as sort of Maya or Nuke. Um, but in terms of returning to Shotgun, I presume that you envisage the team sizes being larger and the projects becoming more complex, and that will necessitate you pivoting back to that kind of solution, I guess. That's it. I mean, I, you know, essentially what I, what I want to be able to do is scale and shrink depending on what the, the needs of uh, the company are, uh, the, and depending on what the workload is. But uh, essentially, I'd like to be able to scale quickly and painlessly. So I need a solution that um, artists can join the company and get on with their work as easily as possible. So essentially, I want the, the technological side of things to be almost invisible. I don't want them to be thinking about, you know, how does this work? How do I, where do I save my work? You know, all of these considerations, I want to try and take as much of that thought time away from the artist as possible so they can focus on their work. Now, if we can use something like Shotgun to allocate shots, control the, the, the nomenclature of a shot, the versions, all of that up, you know, write nodes to upload and save work to, to the right places in all the various different codecs and formats and shapes that that are needed and then automatically upload them to the people that need to see them. Um, and if all of that can be controlled by a visual effects producer, then that's what I'm aiming for. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, um, to, to just to change tack slightly and talk about um, competition and, and to a degree, you know, financial sustainability, not to, hmm. not to dirty the conversation with talk of money, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, but in terms of um, what, what's your view on that? Because presumably without uh, an expensive, say, London studio, I know you're Glasgow based yet, but, uh, yeah. but uh, an expensive London studio and, you know, a great deal of on-premise technology and so on and so forth, that, that has, a, has a benefit in terms of agility and cost in terms of bidding on projects and winning work, presumably. I mean, what are your thoughts around that? Well, it's obviously, it's a big change in terms of your, your financial economic strategy. So currently, as you rightly point out, studios tend to be working on a, a CapEx model. So there's lots of kit, there's lots of desks, chairs, all of which are considered to be assets from, a, from an accounting perspective. Yeah. And this, this change is to very much an operational model. So your tech, in fact, becomes a similar resource like your, your artists. Now, in a world where the tech side of things is so fast changing, it's actually quite difficult to, to argue that you know, a computer is an asset. 
because its shelf life is shortening. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it change, changes very quickly. Now, so if you can give that headache to somebody else, then that's fine. Yeah. So we're so we're operational now. But the advantage to that should be that you can just turn things on and off when you need them. So you, so you should have a greater control over your costs. Yeah, and are able to you know price your jobs accordingly. I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now we'll only tell only be able to tell over time which one is uh, more efficient. You know, we just haven't done enough work on that, at that in that basis to to be able to tell you. But next year, I'll let you know. <laughs> well, we'll we, maybe we'll have another conversation on the podcast next yeah. year and find out what the uh, what the outcome's been. Um, so what um, what has changed for you with the the restrictions under the, the COVID-19 pandemic? I mean, you did mention that you'd come to the end of a job anyway, but um, mm. and, and it's given you some planning time. But what, what are your thoughts around how that will affect uh, what you do going forwards? Well, in a physical space, obviously, you can see each other, you can talk to each other. It's easier to build a community to build relationships to maintain those relationships to see if uh, if somebody is struggling with something if somebody's not feeling great or you know uh, needs some emotional help or or whatever if you if somebody's getting tired or somebody's getting bored of a job do we need to move them onto something else you know how you know we are tribal beasts so there's a very obvious physical barrier in place at the moment that makes it very difficult to maintain to maintain those relationships within within the team now we're using slack at the moment to do that um, and we talk to each other all day we're quite used to to that to some extent because we've had remote artists in the past um, and uh, it's part of it it's always been part of our model so we're kind of used to dealing with people over over the internet um, but yeah that's that i would say is that is the most obvious challenge it's quite nice to hear you say that actually i think we've you know we've had various conversations on the podcast with people about you know remote working per se but also under the restrictions with the health um crisis and uh, I, I think it'd be very nice to work for you actually you, you've you know it's a quite a concerned and sensitive thing to say about your team you know you you the lack of human contact means you miss that someone might be struggling or someone might be tired or need a helping hand. Um, it's more difficult to have that insight, isn't it, when, you, when you're not sitting in the same room as somebody. But is it, is it, it's fair to say, presumably, that your structure was, was, was remote and, and, and cloud-reliant before the pandemic, and it, it will remain that way. It will, it will just add further credence to the, the way that you've decided to, to set up Fix VFX. Yes, I mean, like I said before, it's, you know, it's, 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 been, a, it's been an aim to have a completely cloud-based facility for a small company that's not using a massive amount of computing and rendering power you know it feels like now is a good time to 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 get involved in it uh, on a you know on a, on a dedicated level um and like i say we've you know we've got a little bit to invest in this and we it's not it's not break the bank kind of uh, stuff so while there's a bit of time and while there's a, a little bit of capital to invest it seems like a seems like a, a good thing for us to do yeah yeah okay um nick i'm, I'm interested in in some of the conversations you've been having about sherpa with um studios like fix but but others too because i know that you've been very active in talking to a wide number of studios over the last 
several weeks as this crisis has started to bite a bit deeper in terms of restrictions and impact. Could you give us a bit of insight into the, the sorts of discussions you've been having around suggesting something like Sherpa and, and some of the challenges that your, your, uh, your contacts in the VFX industry have been facing? Uh, so, yes, first, I mean, the conversations uh, were certainly pre-existing by a number of months or, or even years uh, prior to the current situation. Uh, we delivered a number of projects previously, but it, it was slightly more resource intensive for us. Uh, but yes, as you rightly point out, there's, there's certainly been an increased interest and requirement given the current situation. Uh, and it has allowed a number of studios to to continue working and to have access to to resources that you know they they didn't have available to them directly after having to send everybody away from the physical studio. And what we discovered is is many studios didn't actually have anything in place to allow for remote working at any serious scale. So some of the conversations have been about how to leverage their physical kit and access that remotely. But it's naturally led into conversations such as this to how could we provision an entirely virtual studio for people. And it's so we actually, in a number of situations, uh, the studios elected to use Sherpa as an alternative to this so that they had business continuity over this six week period, eight week period. Time will tell how long period. Well, that's quite interesting. So what you're, you're saying there is that Sherpa is being used to get around the problem because it gives you the ability to have everything contained in a cloud deployment. Exactly. It's a, a sort of plan B solution to, to get them around those restrictions. Um, this has probably been explored in, in other podcasts, but the, the physical size of the connection internet connection in and out of people's building has a, has a maximum number of users that it can support. Yeah, and typically this is under under provisioned for for the amount of remote working that people need now. I guess is the simplest way to put it. That's yeah. That's not what they had what they had before isn't quite fit for purpose given the amount of remote workers they now might need to spin up. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's nobody's fault. It just wasn't really a requirement before. So it was adequate for what they needed, but but not sufficient for what they needed now. And so given the current situation, it was basically you know deal deal with what you've got. Uh, and, you know, obviously people couldn't go in to do any work or, you know, all those kind of things. The, the timescale just wasn't there to be able to increase their infrastructure in and out of the building. But obviously certain projects which were still which were underway still had to be delivered. And especially given the current climate and the consumption of, of content, uh, there's, there's all the more pressure on them to, to deliver their projects. So this, this allowed them to very simply create a, a mirror to their existing kit, which they could use during this time period and then stand down at the end of the project and, and carry on, hopefully, on to the next project. Okay. Well, can, I ask, can, can I ask a question? Um, how, did, how have these big companies got around the licensing issue? Um, licensing issues on the software? Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a couple of ways. I mean, the, the, the obvious route, if, if they're scaling up, uh, beyond their existing size is just to to purchase the minimum required license term, you know, a monthly license or less if it's a if it's a render license, uh, and we can we can build a virtual license server in the cloud. That's that's one approach. Or if the period was going to be long enough, you could uh, you could request from your license provider that the licenses are, are recut to the virtual license server. 
uh, or the, the short-term solution that we can do when there's a combination of an on-premise infrastructure and the cloud infrastructure is to, is to connect via a VPN from the physical license server up to the virtual cloud infrastructure, uh, allowing you to access and authorize those licenses. Yeah, it's a good it's a good question actually from Colin because you know what's interesting about the way that technology moves is that sometimes not all aspects of the technology landscape move move at the same pace. I mean, some of the software companies are are less agile than others in in so far as not having really any policy for cloud deployment. Um, or if they do, it anchors to a, a user license agreement that was originally conceived for a for a world that we're fast moving away from. That being, you know, it's it's all on premise. It's all anchored to a, a business location. Um, but as Nick says, I think there's there are ways of still abiding by those licensing agreements and enabling a, a cloud deployment. You know, without without getting into hot water. So. Colin, flipping back to you for a second, we've asked everybody on the podcast this question because it's obviously current and uh, over and beyond things as they relate directly to fix. What do you think are the the longer term implications of of the COVID nineteen pandemic on post production and visual effects? What do you what do you think the legacy of that is going to be as we move beyond uh, social distancing or beyond the lockdown um, and into whatever comes next? Well, I, I mean, there's going to be a lag in uh, production, like I say, well, in, in physical production. And yeah. We don't know how physical production is actually going to look as a, as, a, as a thing. It's very unlikely to be like the film sets that we were used to before. I think potentially there's a big opportunity for, for visual effects companies in that, in that talking to the production community I've been hearing about reduced crews, social distancing, all having an effect on the way that production works. Um, so one thing that I'm interested in is uh, creating previs. And when I say that, I mean going out with one person to look at your location and make a 3D model of it, and then being able to look at it either through a headset or just through 3D software, picking out your angles, exactly picking out all your shots you know storyboarding them together in an animated form and uh, and then greatly reducing the amount of time that you need to spend on set uh, you know your edits pretty much done or largely done to to a degree uh, reducing the amount of stuff that the art department needs to build and then um, and then on the on the closer angles from your crude model, starting to work up your um, full res 4K set extensions and all that kind of stuff. So um, crowds are going to be a problem. So working out good solutions for for any crowd work that you need to do uh, on the set. It's a, you know there's some good opportunities there, but it's definitely going to I think it's definitely going to look like a very different place for for quite some time. Yeah, so there's you know there's likely to be a, an increase in some respects in, in VFX requirements to to sort of underwrite where there's been a, there's been less shooting or there are less physical plates. I mean, we can help we can help reduce the impact on the on the set. You know, take away some of the pressures. And and Nick, you know, what's your take on that? You know, you're obviously talking to a very wide spectrum of content creation studios throughout visual effects and even visualization and, and architectural spaces. What's um what are you hearing from those guys? I guess it's a slightly uh, crystal ball sort of question. It's it's hard to 
to know specifically. I mean, it certainly opened the eyes to a number of companies about the possibility and the potential of remote working. I'd say that's a that's a given for whatever the the reasons, commercial or cultural. It typically wasn't something that was really entertained previously. Certainly, in a lot of the bigger VFX shops, and it's definitely highlighted that it's an option. Greater tolerance of it, perhaps now. Yeah, greater tolerance, greater understanding. You know, it, it sort of exploded the myth that it that it wasn't possible to sort of work in a pipeline type fashion. Uh, with people working remotely and perhaps exploded the myth that people thought it wasn't technically possible, you know, due to whatever the restrictions were. Uh, Whether or not that gives a long-term wholesale change, I couldn't say, but I certainly think it could be disruptive to, to the landscape. Uh, You know, typically as, as you've mentioned earlier and and the sort of model that, that Collins outlined, a, a very large number of, of studios and post-production houses are located in zone one prime real estate in cities across the world, Uh, tend to have very high uh, base costs, as in their rent and rates are very high. Typically, the the spaces are limited in physical size and rent has continued to increase over over time. And, And I think that it may open up you know the potential for the shape of these companies to to change perhaps and there, there have been companies that have explored this option before you you may see more companies adopting this model where they they move a bulk of their work workforce out to a, a more remote remote location on the outskirts of, of town and just have a, a smaller series of suites perhaps in the center of town yeah that's interesting i mean it's good news for glasgow right colin i think i mean I, i'm i'm interested in in that too because so much stuff is london centric and and so many vfx companies are anchored or or in london's orbit and although this is a, a bit of a tangent it is interesting and nice to to deal with studios that are based in other locations do you have to meet clients in london uh, yes i do have to to meet clients in london and you know most of our work comes from uh, London or via London from Los Angeles, but you know part of our part of our attraction is that we're still very much based in the UK, so it's good for UK tax credit. It's uh, building on the industry in this country, and it's and we're well, like I was talking about our artists. You know, we look after people. We like to create opportunities. We're um, nursery slopes potentially for people that want to then go on and do you know, more complex sides or specific uh, aspects of, of visual effects. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we can afford to do that in Glasgow for for a lot of the reasons that you were outlining. You know, we don't have um, a big chunk of real estate in, uh, in Soho. Yes, I mean, I think those costs are becoming increasingly challenging for studios, actually. And, and one of the things that has come up on other episodes of the podcast is that those studios that are located in you know, in uh, in expensive geography like London's West End, are are thinking now with with all this remote working. Well, you know, hey, maybe we don't need to do this anymore. Maybe we can do things like fix do it. Well, certainly, a- five years ago, we felt that it was a very natural disruption in the industry to to push certain aspects, non client facing aspects of of the visual effects world to the nations and regions. And it, it it was it's been obvious, I think, for quite a long time that that expensive footprint is going to breed a necessity to have resources elsewhere. 
Um, just to cycle back and, and look at Sherpa just, just once more, I did have one last question around this. I think what's, what's apparent with working with a cloud infrastructure, and I think your, your choices perhaps speak to this, is that spinning up a totally individual pipeline in, in a cloud format, you know, that is to say having full control over it and not being reliant on a, on a sort of a, a Google Zinc or something that's, that's doing a lot, of, a lot of the engine work in behind the scenes in a way that's opaque, but having, having, a, having full control over your pipeline, you know, requires you to feel the complexity of all of that really. And it, presumably that's what's appealing about Sherpa for you is that it is going to simplify what would otherwise be quite a complicated process to go through. I very much hope so. Now, I'm not really the end user. Um, although I will move my desk into the cloud as well at some point once it's all ready for me to have a look at and test out. But at the moment, um, your fantastic uh, Lee Danskin and uh, my fantastic Chris Duffy are uh, making um, the system as, as uh, uh, idiot-proof as possible. And once they've got to a bit further down the line with that, then the number one idiot will go in and have a look. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I think um, I think that's as good a place as any to to wrap up, actually, guys. Um, Colin, <laughs> thank you very much for joining us, and thank you for your interesting insights into into both Fix and the the, the VFX industry in a wider sense. And Nick, thank you, thanks for your uh, your contributions as well. Um, always interesting. Um, so that's that's all we've got time for. Um, thank you for listening. If you're interested in in Sherpa uh, or VFX technology at large, um, please check the links uh, below.